Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Everybody good? Pretty excited? All right. We're going to talk about humility today. We uh, have been in this series now uh, on parables throughout the summer, and we wrap that up and kick off a brand new series next week, uh, kind of centering on the theology of the church. It's called Be the Difference, and uh, we're supposed to actually accomplish something in the world together. And so... um, We're thinking about all of you who are headed back to school this week. Some of you probably started already, but we're praying for all of you teachers. Officially next week, it's back to school Sunday, and we'll do some uh, celebrating together and praying over you. And uh, so we are praying for you this week as you head out. It turns out humility is a pretty big deal. Uh, It's a big deal in a lot of ways. And uh, I want to read you a passage of Scripture And I think it's the kind of passage of Scripture, you could read it every day the rest of your life, and it would still be convicting and challenging. So just take a deep breath and take a minute and give a listen to this. Philippians 2, 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It's one of those passages that you, if you just slow down and you think about it, if you have any comfort from your relationship with Christ, then don't do anything out of vain conceit or selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourself. And then Paul launches into this little soliloquy about Jesus. Jesus, the only human that ever got it all right, inside and out, the only person that could look at their inner world and outer world and go, it's all good, and who by very nature was God, decided that equality with God was not something he was going to hang on to, but instead he humbled himself and became obedient. The only person who was ever qualified to judge and criticize (laughs) chose not to. And Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's a powerful call on our lives. And it turns out that humility is a big deal. It turns out that humility is something that matters to us in a, a very big way. It's a part of our tradition 
St. Augustine writes these words, Almost the whole of Christian teaching is humility. If you were to ask me, however often you might repeat the question, what are the instructions of the Christian religion, I would be disposed to answer always and only humility. Humility matters. It's core to our identity in Christ. It's probably a good place to stop and ask this question. How do you think all of Christendom is doing with this issue of humility? A few years ago, uh, the American Psychological Association held a convention around 1990. And in that convention, the president of the association stood up and said, we have done just about all we can to diagnose what's wrong with human beings. It's time for us to talk about what human beings might do to become whole. That launched unknowingly what we now call the positive psychology movement or the moral psychology movement. And, and this movement over the last 30 years has discovered some things about human beings. Astonishingly, they are very close to what Jesus taught us in the beginning. Who knew? And one of the things that has been discovered in this great adventure is that humility is one of the practices that human beings must experience and practice in themselves and with each other to be a fully integrated human being, to be a healthy, psychologically healthy, whole human being, humility. And so it matters. In an article entitled, Under, The Underappreciated Power of Humility, medical doctor Demetrius Satyrus writes these words, Humility is a dying virtue because it is misinterpreted as weakness, fragility, and meekness. It is, it, is, it is in contrast to the Western cultural ideals of individualism and unrestrained capitalism. Its demise is unfortunate because humility comes with many benefits. On an individual level, humility has the positive effect of self-awareness. Humble individuals accept that they have blind spots and they look for ways to improve. They are open to receiving feedback from others. They avoid the trap of overconfidence which clouds judgments and decision-making. Humility can keep you grounded. It can spare you the erratic swings between narcissism and shame. This virtue is an antidote to shame because it embraces your humanity, which is the essence of your worth. It's also protective against narcissism. Unlike narcissists, humble individuals do not carry a sense of entitlement or view themselves as above anyone else. On an interpersonal level, humility strengthens social bonds. Humble individuals are quick to accept responsibility and apologize for their mistakes. High-quality apologies are extremely effective at reducing conflict and repairing relationships. Amen? Amen. That's just science. That's just where the science got to. Who knew? I mean, who knew that Jesus would teach us about humility and say, here's a part of what the gospel does for you. It creates a healthy self-image and a healthy relational image. Mark McMinn, in his books, The Science of Virtue writes these words, greater humility is associated with greater physical health, greater mental health, self-esteem, gratitude, and forgiveness, academic performance, job performance, forgivingness, generosity, and helpfulness. Humble people experience more positive romantic relationships than others. They form and repair social bonds more, bonds more readily than others. They're less anxious about death. They're more compassionate, and they experience less spiritual struggle. 
C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. How many of you are familiar with The Screwtape Letters? Good on you. That's a lot. Well, for those that aren't familiar, it is a series of letters written between a demon named Wormwood and his protege, or Screwtape and his protege Wormwood about how to deceive human beings. This is an excerpt. The enemy, God, wants humans in the end to be so free from any bias in their own favor that they can rejoice in their own talents as frankly and gratefully as in their neighbor's talents. He wants each person in the long run to be able to recognize all creatures, even themselves, as glorious and excellent things. It is his long-term policy, I fear, to restore to them a new kind of self-love, a charity and gratitude for all selves, including their own. And when they have lear really learned to love their neighbors as themselves, they will be allowed to love themselves as their neighbors. So what is humility? McMinn, in his book, defines it this way. If I cannot think often and well of others, then I am not being humble. If I cannot think often and well of others, then I am not being humble. Mark McMinn, by the way, in the book, The Science of Virtue, Mark McMinn is a Christian psychologist writing from a Christian perspective into the world of psychology. You didn't think that was going to be the definition, did you? You thought it was going to be long and convoluted and a lot of stuff. You thought it was going to be sort of like, you know, philosophical and we'd be able to go, yeah, I think I'm doing that. I think I'm... But it's not, is it? It's right down on the bottom shelf. If I cannot think well and often of others, I am not being humble. I am not being humble. It matters. Psychologist Dune Tagney, who's done enormous amounts of work in this field of humility, gives us the six dimensions of humility. Here they are. Number one, humble people have an accurate view of themselves, not too high and not too low. Number two, they have the ability to, make, to acknowledge mistakes and limitations. Number three, they have an openness to new ideas. Number four, they keep one's accomplishments and abilities in perspective. Number five, they have a relatively low self-focus. And number six, they appreciate diverse perspectives. Jesus found it necessary to speak into the issue of humility. In Luke 18, we come upon this little obscure parable and one of the things to me that's convicting about this passage is Luke's commentary at the beginning. Listen to what it says, Luke 18, 9. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. You can just read that. To, you could just say, uh, you know, I'm not sure people would take it well, but you could copy this. And then when you run into somebody who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, you could just whip this out, you know, just... I don't know, that might not go well. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself. Now, I do want you to realize the impact that the crowd would have as this parable begins. Because when he mentions the Pharisee, they would all go, oh. I mean, it's not that they love the Pharisee, but the Pharisee represented the, the highest level of purity in their culture. I mean, they would have immediately identified, like, oh, the Pharisee's going to be the good one. 
And then the second character, when he would have mentioned the tax collector, they all would have gone, oh, yeah, we, we, we. I mean, even today, we're not crazy about tax collectors. <laughs> Amen? And so they would have already formed in their mind the prejudice of what's coming next. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I see two warnings and two admonitions that grow out of the parable. So, number one, the first warning, beware of self-righteousness. Jesus found it necessary to call out those who were confident in their own righteousness. Paul says it very clearly, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? Now, we don't all sin the same way. Some of us are virtuosos in the area of sin. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> People are like, I don't know if I'm confessing or judging. I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't know what you're looking for there. <laughs> I mean, some people go through life living in such a way that they are mock six with their hair on fire all the time. They don't make small mistakes. They make gigantic ones. Yeah. And they have a tendency to recognize their own folly. They just understand it somehow because all of their failure is writ large across their life. Other people... Most of their sin happens right up in here. Happens kind of, you know, they just always are thinking it. They're always judging. They're always gossiping. A, a lot of sin is associated with words that come out of our mouth. Which the scripture is pretty, pretty intense about. <laughs> Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except what is suitable for the building up of others that it may edify those who listen. Well, what are we going to talk about then? <laughs> But, but the power of self-righteousness is, this is okay. This is okay. This is okay. As long as I'm not acting out, then it's not really sin. Au contraire. <laughs> Beware of self-righteousness. A self-righteousness that starts to look at ourselves and think, I'm getting it right, and everybody else is getting it wrong. God is lucky to have me. He got a good deal when he got me. I'm a very low-maintenance Christian. I hardly ever mess up. I hardly ever need forgiveness. I, I, I'm good, 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 good. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's what we share in common. And whether we act out or act up, we have all sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And when we pretend to be 
self-righteous. Bad things happen in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be gained, but humbled himself. Humbled himself. Decided not to grandstand on his own righteousness. And it wasn't self-righteousness, it was actual righteousness. But even he decided not. So you let this mind be in you. You let this mind occupy your headspace. Number two, beware of an overinflated sense of self-worth. The Pharisee stands right there in front of everybody and said, I am so glad that I am not like these other people. This is what I do. This is the worth I bring to the world. Beware of an overinflated sense of self-worth. And the reason is that it causes people to think they are doing it all and giving it all themselves. That somehow they're being mistreated. That somehow they're not getting what they deserve. In fact, they believe they're giving far more than anyone else. And what they're giving is better than what everyone else is giving. It can cause us to feel misused. It can cause us to feel underappreciated. And it can lead us to a sense of entitlement. Beware of an overinflated sense of self-worth. Embrace a lifestyle. Now we're into the embracing. Number three, embrace a lifestyle of true repentance. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Please, please forgive me, God. You and I are invited to live in this place of true repentance. A place in which we don't live in shame, but we also are not narcissists. Where we have a a sense of who we are, and we understand that our humanity leads us into places of failure and weakness and sin. And we're not content with that. What we do with that is we repent. We acknowledge the mess. We ask for forgiveness. We're willing to leave the mess behind. And we're willing to move forward. And sometimes in our lives we have acute sin. We, we have things that we do. We, we, we burst out in a big ball of failure. <laughs> and that's hard. And painful. But sometimes we have chronic failure where we seem to fail over the same things again and 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 again. And sometimes because we have a tendency to fail again and again and again, we will begin to go, well, maybe God won't forgive me. Or maybe he doesn't like me anymore. Or maybe he's mad at me now. Or maybe he's inviting us to live in a constant place of repentance. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I surrender all. I give it up to you. And if I need to give it up to you again tomorrow, then I'll give it up to you again tomorrow. I'm not playing games, God. I'm moving in the direction. I'm trying to get to where you want me to be. I want to embrace an attitude and a spirit of repentance.
And finally, number four, embrace a lifestyle of childlikeness. He took a child and stood him in front of the group and said, unless you change and become like little children, little children, open, willing to learn, willing to grow, full of understanding, full of uh, curiosity, wanting to, to welcome in experiences. Do you ever think about this? You know, when you were growing up, you did everything. Do you remember that? You want to play this? Yeah. You want to play that? Sure. You want to play something else? Yeah. You'd do it. And then you get into the, your, your teenage years and you, you become aware. You know, you get a sense of what you look like. Everybody remember that awareness? Because when you're a little kid, you're not aware. That's why little kids run around with no clothes on. <laughs> Amen? They don't care. They don't care at all. But at some point, you become self-aware, and you're like, ooh. And somewhere in your teenage years, you go, I don't think I look cool when I'm playing that. I don't, I don't, I'm not good at that. And I don't think I look cool while I'm doing it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not do that anymore. And by the time we reach late adolescence, we have narrowed down our field of experience to the things we believe we're good at. Okay, this is what I did growing up. I decided on some things I felt I could do well, and then I quit doing everything else because I thought I looked stupid doing it. In fact, no, I know I look stupid doing it. You know? Like, you can see from my stature what an amazing basketball player I was. You understand what I'm saying? I distinctly remember in college, in intramural basketball, one day intercepting a pass, streaking down the court all alone, and getting to about the free throw line and thinking, I have no idea what to do now. <laughs> At this point in my head, I thought I could elevate. No. No. And so you go, I'm just not doing that anymore. That's not really my game. I can't, I can't excel at that. I can't look great at that. And that happens in our relationships. It happens in our perspectives. And the older we get, the more we want to hang out with just people who are like us and think like us and affirm what we already think. We don't want to be disturbed. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And Jesus says, listen, embrace the lifestyle of childlikeness. Be open. It has something to do with humility. How many of us have said these words out loud? If people would just listen to me. If you just listen to me. I, I, I know people. I have had conversations with people who my impression in talking to them, though I've never outright asked because I think it would be rude, I have had conversations with people that I really believe if someone called them and said, could you come to Washington, D.C. and straighten this country out? They would say, absolutely, I am on the next plane. <laughs> you get me in front of the President of the United States and I will, I will go to Congress, I will sit in front of the Senate, I'll be at the House, I'll go to the Supreme Court, I'll straighten this all out. They'll listen to me, I'll fix it all in the next five days. Can I get an amen? Because <laughs> you've talked to them too, haven't you? And it would be rude to say, do you think, do you really think that if you got to Washington, you could fix it all? That would be rude. But now that question will be in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
And people do it in the context of our homes and of our families. Because I know best. And of our churches. And of our churches. Let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not think equality. Be of the same spirit. One love. Let the things that unite you be greater than the things that divide you. Why? Because you've chosen humility. You've chosen to believe that you don't know it all. In the article I referenced earlier, the underappreciated power of humility, in closing, the author suggests that there are four ways to cultivate more humility in your life. Are you ready? ready. Number one, invite feedback. The first step is to accept that you have personal biases and blind spots. Inviting feedback helps cure you of these things. Take a moment then to listen to the feedback with curiosity. You better give up being defensive if you want to cultivate humility. Number two, learn from others. The best learning sources are people. Listen to them. Number three, recognize others. If you've had any measure of success in your life, relationally, professionally, it is because someone helped you. Do not fail to recognize the contributions of others to your life and to your story. Amen. Number four, achieve for the right reasons. Be committed, be ambitious, but be ambitious and committed because you want to make the world a better place, because you, you, you want to do something great for humanity, because you want to benefit your family. Don't do it for your own sort of sense of self-worth. Do it for the right reasons. Achieve for the right reasons. And sometimes we have to examine and reflect and think about that. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Humility. God, would you search us and know our hearts? Would you see if there would be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting? We invite you in these closing moments, whether we're here in the room, online, watching later in the week. Just want to take a deep breath. We want to humble ourselves. We want to be better better at interacting with each other, better at interacting with you, better at emulating the life of Christ in us. We're thankful that the gospel of Jesus Christ has always been about creating whole human beings. In fact, what you said was you came to give us life and life to the full. So would you search us in these closing moments as we sing these powerful words. We surrender all and do your work in each of us, we pray. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.